Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 426th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is an outstanding actress who is just 39, but has been doing great work for some 30 years already. She became a child star thanks to a remarkable performance opposite Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in Neil Jordan's 1994 film Interview with the Vampire, garnering her first Golden Globe nomination at the age of just 12. During her teens, she began leading a double life, becoming a teen idol through films like 2000's Bring It On and the original Spider-Man trilogy, which rolled out in 2002, 2004, and 2007, while also earning critical acclaim for the first two of her three collaborations with Sofia Coppola, 1999's The Virgin Suicides and 2006's Marie Antoinette. After a bit of a hiatus from the screen, she returned as a full-fledged adult on screens big and small, winning the Cannes Film Festival's Best Actress Prize for Lars von Trier's Melancholia in 2011, and Golden Globe nominations for her work as the leads of two TV series, FX's Fargo in 2015 and Showtime's On Becoming a God in Central Florida in 2019. But never has her work been better received than it was in 2021, when she played Rose, a woman in the Old West who is tormented by her troubled brother-in-law, in Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog for which she has garnered Best Supporting Actress Golden Globe, SAG, and Critics' Choice Award nominations, with an Oscar nomination likely to follow. Kirsten Dunst. Over the course of our conversation, Dunst and I discussed the pros and cons of child stardom, and why she credits Sofia Coppola with helping her to successfully transition into grown-up parts, why she has always resisted efforts to turn her into a more conventional movie star, from refusing to have her teeth fixed, to shunning opportunities to play romantic leads outside of the Spider-Man franchise, why she is particularly proud to be associated with Campion and The Power of the Dog, in which her real-life husband, Jesse Plemons, plays her on-screen husband, just as he did when they first met while shooting the second season of Fargo, plus much more. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Thank you so much for doing this. Great to chat again. And I guess, you know, on uh, on this one, we always actually I was looking, I should say I was going through some old notes. I saw the first time was 2010 for all good things. So I've got a few uh, updated, few updated questions uh, since then. But I guess for the purposes of this podcast, we always begin right at the Beginning, can you please tell our listeners where you were born and raised and what your folks did for a living? Yes, I was born in Point Pleasant, New Jersey, and my father worked for a German company called Siemens, um, and my mother was a, is, was a stay-at-home mom, but, but had an art gallery with my aunt, like a framing, an art gallery place. And were there siblings as well? Are there siblings yeah, as well? Yes, my brother Christian, who's five years younger than me. Okay, so... 
as everyone knows, uh, you got into this all at a very early age, but I think the actual sequence of events might not be as familiar. Can you talk about, I, I mean, was this truly just a, a by chance thing that led, one thing led to another, or was there sort of an active effort to find a way into this um, business? I think there was, uh, you know, a little bit of, of both. It's being so close to New York, it was easy to go in and, you know, go for auditions and things. And I think that enough people came up to my mom at the grocery store or whatever and was like, oh, you should put your kid in like little modeling or do something. And and I think she thought, OK, we could put, you know, money away for her for college already and whatever and just add to that. And and so then I I started in New York and I was with the um, Ford modeling agency, like little kid Ford modeling agency. And. <laughs> And did runway shows and, you know, catalogs and all this. All, I just worked a lot. And um, and so it was a natural progression then to go to, to try out commercial acting. And I booked the first commercial that I went on, which was for Kick Serial. So I think it, you know, it kind of just naturally snowballed. And then, and then what everyone does when they're successful in commercials is then they try going to um, Los Angeles for pilot season. So it was really a lot of driving from New Jersey to New York. And then we'd always <laughs> stay at, whenever I booked something, we'd stay at the Milford Plaza, um, which is like in the theater, you know, in, near Times Square. And we'd always park at this one parking lot and get like the grossest food at this deli and bring it back to the hotel. <laughs> so it didn't start out very glamorous, but... Uh, no, um, no. Well, I guess, you know, you were really... What were you, three when you got that Kix commercial? Something like that. Yeah, like three years old. And I did, I've did. i done over 100 commercials now, which is crazy to think oh about. Oh, my God. Well, I guess, though, you know, at a pretty... Th these things pay nicely. And at an early age, I, I don't know exactly what that age would be. Maybe you do, but... My sense from other things I've read was that you were really like the principal breadwinner uh, of the family, as is the case for, you know, very successful child stars in many cases. And I, I guess I just wonder, was this something that felt fun for you as a, as a little kid, even before the movies, or did it feel in some way stressful? I was not the breadwinner, Scott. My dad was had a very successful job, and we lived— really nicely in New Jersey, like on the water. And so I, I, there was no money that I, I didn't, uh, help support my parents at all until later in life when, um, like after my parents got divorced and, you know, a little bit later in life basically, but, um, not, not during my childhood at all. Got it. Basically after I got Spider-Man, I could buy my mom, you know, I bought her a nice house, but before nice. that we, no, we never, they never used my money. But would it, would you say it was still, I mean, is there a sense you were enjoying that period of your life when you look, when you think back on it or was it, you know, is it's cause it's competitive. I mean, I was reading even with that kicks commercial, you're up against essentially, and they literally call it a cattle call, right. Of hundreds of kids. You happen to prevail, but I mean, there, is there a sense of uh, stress about that? I had an eight, I had an, like a top, commercial agent in New York. So I didn't feel like I was part, I, I had been working steadily in the print world. So I felt like, um, 
Yeah, I did have I did have a good time. Otherwise, my mom would stop doing it. I mean, she tried with my brother, and my brother was like, "No way." So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know, I think because she always prioritized, and you know, for me, I always prioritized like you know sleepovers or hol- like anything important to me. Work would never, you know, interrupt. But I was really like, I guess, a natural little. <laughs> you know, actor. I, but you know what? I see it in my son. Like if I was in a small town right now and I had the son I do right now, I mean, he's so, ex- he's like one of the most expressive kids I've ever seen. Just like telling me a story. I'm just I laugh because I'm like, you're the type of kid that will book every commercial because he just is, he's got it in him. I just see it. It's hilarious. He's so expressive. Um, that's so I can see how natural it comes to some people and that that's, you know, it's it's a, a magnet for, you know, you, you see those kids and you're like, oh, yeah, let's get them because it's they, because it's effortless. It feels natural, not like their mom's telling him to do something or I never had like a ton of makeup on or anything like that. And I was also always very like natural. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that pilot season eventually kind of become, mm-hmm. enters the equation for any young actor. And I guess you it was 92 or 93 i can't i've seen different things you're nine or ten and your family minus your dad eventually at at this point now move out to la from new jersey and did the i guess the 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 thing that many people do which is oakwood apartments um for at least a while um well first we were in a real we 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 were in some other places first god but wait sorry i'm sorry i cut you off you you where we stayed first uh well i i guess i just you know i'm curious though was the move just chronologically i see you had your first credit i guess was really one of these three installments of a movie, New York Stories, the Woody Allen directed one. You were, I don't know, six or something for for that one. Uh, Then there's Bonfire of the Vanities in 1990, a year later with You're the Daughter of Tom Hanks. But it looks like that would have all preceded you guys actually moving out west. So how did how what was the order of events with that? No, you're absolutely right. That's I had little parts in, in both those films. And I think Bonfire the Vanities brought us out to Los Angeles for some scenes. And um, that's when we first landed. And I do, I rem- I actually remembered the feeling when I first landed because it was so tropical. I was like, it's so hot. And there were so many palm trees. And I, you know, when you grow up in New Jersey, it's like the, just like the look of it was so different to me. It was really, I just felt that warm air hit me when I walked out of the, the airport. Um, yeah, I remember we stayed like by Universal Studios and I don't know. There was like a restaurant with that was owned by Telly Savalas or something. <laughs> I don't know. I have so many like, random little pieces that come back to my mind when you're mentioning it. But yeah, we stayed first we stayed. After all that, we tried well, we stayed at I think it was called the Highland Garden Gardens. It's on Franklin. Now it's called something different. It's across from that little park. It's actually where Janice Joplin passed away. She, oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's where we stayed. And it was, uh, not nice. We were there for two <laughs> weeks. My mom just didn't know where to go. And then we went to, we stayed like kind of near the Formosa cafe in an apartment building called the Jessica apartments. I remember. And we grocery shop at what's, what was then called rock and roll Ralph's. Um, <laughs> but yeah, then eventually I think she just felt like, mm, it 
it's not the safest. Maybe we should go to the Oakwood with everybody <laughs> because it's like, a you know, behind gates. And I get why everyone goes there, because if you don't know Los Angeles, it's just a little a bubble of built in safety, which is probably pretty false. But, <laughs> um, but well, yeah. and also there's a there's a ton of, you know, fellow child actors, aspiring child actors who end up staying there. Do you when you think back to that? period where you're just sort of settling into life in LA, you know, your dad, I guess, is still on the East Coast, but you're surrounded now by all these other kids and you're starting to get auditions out here and all of that. Was that a fun time? Was that a, you know, disorienting time? What do you remember about that? I remember, I mean, okay, it was me, my mom, my grandma came out and visited a lot too. Me, my mom, my grandma, my brother a lot, but we were in a one- bedroom. So like it was like a pullout couch in the other room. And then so it was just like piled into this, <laughs> you know, apartment. Um, so I remember when I did start school in L.A., I'd never have anyone come over to my house because I was, was like, oh, we're all piled into this like <laughs> teeny one bedroom apartment. I was like, I don't. So I do remember feeling that way. Like, but also we didn't really socialize so much with my mom was, you know, not into like the, uh, we kept to ourselves. Let's just put it that mm -hmm. way. We didn't go to any of the stuff, the group acting, you know, whatever it is. If anything, we just run in, get the free donuts and get out. That's what me and my brother <laughs> would do. Cause it is a weird group. It's just kind of weird. So I, I eventually started school in LA. Um, and I had my friends from school, so I wasn't mingling at the Oakwood so much. It does seem like if there's a before and after moment for you, it's got to be getting interview with the vampire, right? We got to just yes, to familiarize, just to remind our listeners, you were Claudia, a child who has turned into a vampire. And uh, this was by as a result of two vampires who are now raising her, who happened to be played by Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. Do you remember, I mean, this was a thing that your contemporaries all would have wanted. I heard Christina Ricci and a bunch of other people may have tried out. Uh, um, and in fact, I just want to read back a quote, if I can, from Stephen Willey, who was a producer of that. This was from 1994. Quote, we started looking at six-year-olds, which is about Claudia's age in the book, but the role is too demanding for a six-year-old. We needed a child with a mind capable of grasping the fine points of the difficult monologues Claudia has, and Kirsten was the first actress we saw. She gave a wonderful reading, but we thought it was too good to be true, so we saw thousands of other girls. In the end, we came to Kirsten. She's quite extraordinary in the part. And then Tom Cruise also, just to we'll add, said, quote, we're all in awe of her maturity as an actress. There seems to be the experience of a 35-year-old actress in the body of this little girl, close quote. So, I mean, what, from your perspective, do you remember about uh, just, was it a big deal to even be kind of auditioning for that part? And then take me through where it went from there. It was, yeah, an enormous deal. Well, every, I didn't know I was one of the first people they saw. I, I don't, I never read those quotes, you know, so that was, it's cool for me to even hear you read those. Um, I worked very hard with my acting coach, John Homa, who was my acting coach at the time. And just, he just made me understand things in a way that was, were, that was safe for my little mind, you know, um, I remember him having me slam a door a bunch of times just to like, because there's something really scary about doing that. And it brought up like, 
a lot of emotion for me. So there were ways that he would kind of help me understand how to get to certain places. But also he was very protective too. Like I remember there was a scene where, you know, I talked to Brad, I think about wanting to be older and, and I like kind of caress his cheek or there's something about it that seems more womanly. But, um, you know, instead of talking to me about anything like that, he said, you know, when you're, you know, when you steal your brother's toy and he asks you where it is, and you know where it is, but you're not going to tell him where it is. <laughs> um, so that immediately gives a precocious kind of look in a face that is not necessarily, it's not sexual at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like just, but it has a similar feeling. So I think, listen, I went through so many auditions. It was insane. I remember one of my auditions at the Sunset Marquee, Neil Jordan, talked to my mom after and was like, is she, is she mentally okay? Because I was crying and shit. I mean, I think at that point I had done this so many times and worked so hard on it that I just was like ready, like a horse in the, you know, ready to go in the race. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, <laughs> I mean, just to remind people, because you talk about there being some you know, grown up scenes and whatever, which is obviously the nature of the the part that you were asked to play. But I mean, you're always asked about, for instance, there's a scene where you have to literally kiss Brad Pitt. What were you, uh, 11 when you shot this, 12? Yeah, I was 11, 11 years old. And I remember, like, he was kind of like a big brother to me. Um, I mean, we'd talk about farts, you know what I mean? Like, that was the <laughs> level of our communication. <laughs> Um, so it's just like, imagine having to kiss your older brother. That's how I felt. Right. You know what I mean? So that right. was probably, and it wasn't even, it was pretty much a long peck. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but ha the, one of the worst things I had to do was bite this person's neck. That was so sweaty. It was just, <laughs> I was dying. I think that was the hardest thing I had to do. I remember going up to Neil being like, oh my God, how am I going to do this, Neil? She's like so. Sweating so profusely. I'm literally just like licking sweat off this person. I, I, oh, yeah. I was, it was so nasty. Oh, God. <laughs> well, it's interesting because that very same year, at least in terms of the release dates, that, that came out in 94 and so did Little Women, which is you're, you're the young Amy March. This is Jillian Armstrong directing it. And I guess my sense is it couldn't have been a more different experience. And sometimes that's, I mean, for you personally, I'm sure it was very different to go from a pretty male to a pretty female set, but also the fact that it's showing you as a performer in such a different light that I, I would imagine that, you know, what a opportunity for people to see your range, even at that early an age, right? You know, I, I didn't think about it that way because I was young and having fun. I didn't really, I knew I wanted to be in Little Women, but I didn't, only later in life do I realize like how that probably informed my work and like my choices um, because I experienced like the top men of their field and then the top women of the field. So it, it I think it imprinted something really important in my in my life for work that I wasn't conscious of at the time at all. Um, and to me, there was no difference in some ways, you know, I, I mean. Yeah, it was a different type of set, but every set has a, such a different energy. And I had so much fun on Interview of the Vampire, and I had so much fun on Little Women. Like, I remember me and Susan Sarandon's daughter, Ava, we would, like, put up a lemonade stand, you know, on the 
at lunchtime for the crew. So I remember because we weren't in school, that was the, actually the biggest difference for me, if you want to know, is like I didn't have to do school, school work on Little Women because we shot in the summer and on Interview with the Vampire, <laughs> it was like juggling like this major role and then learning about photosynthesis. You know what I mean? That's the last thing you want to do when you're working all day. It's exhausting. <laughs> so right. I, yeah, that was the biggest pain on Interview is like we're working nights and, you know, I'm doing math and, you know, doing my schoolwork. And that was, a, right. that was a really annoying balance. It's like, okay, we're, we're, you know, you're done with this scene, get into school. I mean, that's just, <laughs> it's just the worst as a child. Well, I can only imagine. And, and so those were both 94, then 95 is Jumanji, you and some other kids with Robin Williams. And I, in fact, that's the first time I think I remember going to the movies and, uh, seeing you, I don't think I would have necessarily gone as a kid to go see Interview with the Vampire or <laughs> Little Women. But um, I guess, you know, for you, I'm wondering as to have a, a bang, bang, bang of those three movies within it could even be in terms of the release dates within a, a calendar, within a within a period of a year, something around that you were in a situation that very few other child actors would have been in at that moment. And I wonder, in fact, I had read that there was some kind of an interaction with another kid at the Oakwood who didn't even know that you were Kirsten Dunst and said something about that, right? Is there? Yes. The, the day after I got interviewed with the vampire, I think I was walking to their little convenience store and I don't know, maybe these kids were talking and started to talk to me. And then one of the little girls was like, Oh, my agent said that I'm the next Kirsten Dunst. She, and, you know, I just, was, I, didn't, I don't think I said anything. I was just, you know, I knew better. Listen, I grew up going to New York on aud to auditions in the 80s. You know what I mean? I knew right. when to shut my mouth and walk away <laughs> or whatever. Like, I didn't, you know, I grew up street smart. So I wasn't, I didn't indulge in things that I didn't feel like I needed to. So I just walked right. away. Um, but... Uh, I was going to say that I really had no conception. When you say this, that it was all in like pretty much a calendar year, I didn't even realize that myself, Scott. Mm -hmm. I was so in my own world um, with my best friend Molly and my school, and then I'd go to work, and then I'd come back to my school, but I never, which is so good, I never worried about like whether something was successful or not or whether I was successful or not. I was just kind of doing my thing. and right. And that wasn't even, I just was pretty innocently just doing my thing and not really worrying about anything else. Now, for a kid entering their teens, that's not an easy period, whether you're, you know, a regular kid in, you know, Sheboygan or uh, uh, certainly not easy if you're, a, um, you know, an up-and-coming actress, I'm sure, in Hollywood. And you, I'm looking at how you navigated those years and – you know, there's little bits of things, you know, wag the dog or a voice in Anastasia or whatever. And in fact, there's a, a back to back to back shooting period. I don't know the order, but I know these were all shot back to back to back and came out in 99 of Drop Dead Gorgeous Dick and then The Virgin Suicides, which I'm definitely going to ask you about. But I wonder just in terms of deciding what you are interested in and comfortable doing. As you think back, I mean, I believe there was another movie that came out in 1999 that you declined to participate in. And it happened to be the movie that won the best picture Oscar for that year, American Beauty. But you kind of had in your mind what you what you were and were not comfortable doing at that point. Right. I 
I, I chose what I probably wanted to see myself, you know what I mean, at that age, like when I read a script, whether I laughed or not, you know, I, I think I picked things based on what I wanted to see and be a part of and what would be li- just fun for me. And also I was pretty innocent too. I, um, I, yeah, I feel like some people can go to a place where they get into you know, being around all these adults makes them grow up quit more quickly. But I think because I always went to normal schools and I, ha- I was putting on plays in the backyard with my friend and I don't know, watching Dawson's Creek. You know what I mean? I wasn't <laughs> I was just when I read something, I just responded intuitively. So, yeah, I knew what I was comfortable with and and not comfortable with. And I just yeah, I went based off my instincts. Well, it's it's interesting because here's the just a quote I think you gave sort of around way back then about American Beauty versus the Virgin Suicides. I'm just going to read back to you with American Beauty, quote, I didn't want to be kissing Kevin Spacey. Come on, lying there naked with rose petals, uh, close <laughs> quote, which totally, totally get it. But it's interesting that you were open to doing the Virgin Suicides, which is obviously the beginning of your Sophia Coppola collaboration, but this is another part that was certainly more risque than anything you'd done up to that point. You're being seen as sort of a young woman, I guess, maybe for the first time. Was that part of the the thing about you and Sophia hitting it off that, you know, the difference is here's a female director versus a male director of relatively uh, not that much older than you, um, but kind of gets what you're going through? Yeah, I think I didn't realize myself what she saw in me and what she gave me in terms of a confidence that carried me through for the next few years um, in in that time period of like being seen as more womanly. The fact that she she was the director and it was through her eyes. And I could say, so I'm really nervous about this scene where I have to kiss a bunch of boys on the roof. She's like, oh, you don't have to kiss them. Just bury your neck and bury your head in their necks and we'll shoot it in a way where, you know, you don't have to kiss them. Don't worry. But like that wouldn't happen on every set. You know what I mean? Like and I think immediately she had a way about the way she was making films that I was really comfortable with, like the way we rehearsed. I loved, I loved her process. So I learned a lot on that. And also I got to be seen as this beautiful, um, you know, beautiful woman for the first time through her eyes, which is like so much, so much more feminine and, and beautiful and not anything projecting, you know, it's just, so I think that that innocence still, you know, intermingled with that yeah. is something I'll I'll have for the rest of my life. And and that carried me through decisions I made later. Like I I never dressed super sexy on the red carpets or anything. I felt very I felt very confident in myself as a woman. And Sophia really gave that to me for my late teen years. Like she, you know, the fact that I looked up to her so much and th- she thought I was beautiful inside and out with all my flaws made me feel very, like, gave me, you know, a confidence. Like, oh, well, you say this about me? Well, Sophia's way cooler than you, and she thinks I'm great. So it's like something that gives you, uh, you know, when when you look up to a woman and they build you up, then you don't need these other things. That's very interesting. And you know what else I I was thinking about prepping for this? And maybe I'm 
overanalyzing, but I'd love to get your take. I mean, if you ask somebody to name the three most sort of acclaimed Kirsten Dunst movie performances, I'm guessing, and you know, there's plenty of great options, but I'm guessing the most common answers are going to be The Virgin Suicides, Melancholia, and The Power of the Dog. And what do they all have in common? Very little dialogue, a lot depending on your face, right? Uh, I mean, almost like a silent movie performance. And they're all dealing with, I think it's fair to say, characters going through sort of inner turmoil, whether it's, I guess, a, a, some form of, of depression, right? Or anxiety, or um, is there, can you, you have any, is there any rhyme or reason to that? Can you, you, <laughs> you, you agree? I think they're just like the most, they're like, made by real auteurs too. They're like by masterful filmmakers. It's like, to me, that helps. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you can give a performance and it doesn't matter because if it's in the wrong hands, then, you know, who cares about the film? Um, mm -hmm. So I think they're just like, I got to be a part of really good filmmaking um, experiences. But I mean, it's also not, not every actress can, can has the ability or the confidence to do a, you know, performance without much dialogue that is still interesting, right? I mean, that's, is there, I guess it even goes back to the, the child acting where you're, you're saying, I know you've acknowledged, like, may, there must have been something that was sort of behind the eyes or, or something that suggested this was a, there's more going on there than your average kid or person, you know, this is a, a, mm -hmm. a older, deeper uh, soul. I mean, again, it, to have to, to keep something interesting when you're not talking in an age when, you know, people have no attention span anymore. I think that's kind of a, a rare thing. Thanks, Scott. It's hard to talk about yourself, <laughs> you know what I mean, in that way. But I think for me as an actress, I think some of my favorite performances, though, it's like everything that happens um, in the private moments of people or, are always some of my favorite in film. I mean, all the, yeah, all the movies that I loved growing up or when I first discovered, you know, what, what it is to be like, what kind of acting do I like? What kind of movies do I like? Cause I'm learning that as I'm doing it. So it, it, you know, watching, you know, a movie like, let's say like three women, you know, or like picnic at hanging rock or these movies that like clearly influence you know, Sophia, but I did, hadn't watched those movies yet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was like a weird or like a persona, which kind of is very much like Melancholia, which I watched for the first time, I think kind of probably, yeah, I watched it before to filming Melancholia, but like these films about women and their psychological, what's going on with them psychologically have always been my favorite because mm -hmm. I, I like, yeah, I like movies about things like that. So yeah. At the same time, though, it's it's a it's a again to come back to the idea of of range to be able to do those kinds of things, but then also do a movie that your own uh, contemporaries want to go and flock to, like a like a Bring It On, which was the year after Virgin Suicides and all those other 1999 projects. Um, you know that is that is a did you guys ever imagine that would be so popular? This is of course you're you're this. Uh, head of the cheerleading squad, but I mean, it's a deeper movie. There's an assumption that a movie like that's just fluff, but I mean, on another level, it's, you guys are talking about race and privilege and whatever, but it's just mm -hmm. a, a, an interesting um, performance and a, and a story. And a, it actually was very popular and remains very popular. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was a complete surprise to us. Huge, like how, I remember we went, me and Peyton and some of the other cast and producers, and like we all went to Universal Studios the day it opened, um, or Universal City Walk, and like went into the theater and like every, you know, they knew that like people were buying tickets and it was, you know, this is going to be a success. It was the first time I had led a successful movie. So it was so crazy. It just goes to show you never know what you never, you don't know what's going to hit and, and resonate with people. And I had no idea. Like, I don't have that perspective when I'm making it or even watching it, I watched it and I was like, oh, this is fun. My brother was like, this is going to be huge. And I was like, really, Christian? He's like, yes. <laughs> um, so I still didn't, you know, I, you know, I think also during that age time to age, I was, um, you know, wanting to be taken seriously too. And so I think that it's funny, even though it was so successful. I think there's a part of me that always checks myself or checks, you know, uh, what's around me. And I think I was like almost, I remember another actress said something actually. She was like, well, I'm not in a, like a dumb cheerleader movie or something. And her saying that just made me feel so terrible about myself. Um, oh man. I know but it's so funny how like one thing can really like it's not any of the good that sticks out. It's one bad thing that really sticks out to you always. So that's why it's always, Sophia always says, don't read anything because that's <laughs> the one thing that's not good will be the only thing that's stuck in your head. Right, right. Um, oh, man. So, but it's also was like, I was a little embarrassed too that, you know, even my friend, my friends would be like, I'll get the door tour to me. So it was just, it was like, I'm growing up, I'm in high school, or I think it was, yeah, or junior high. No, I think it was, yeah, I was in high school at that point. And obviously, um, and then, so I was kind of, I was the person in high school that like kept my head down because I didn't want anyone to pick me out as the actress or like she's bitchy or she's thinks she's better than other people. Like I never wanted anyone to have any, any little piece that they could do that to me. So I was right. really kind of downplayed myself in high school and just, you know, hung. I always had my spot at the lunch table with my friends and, you know, but I definitely felt like, Ooh, I have to like keep up with what's happening and then I'm working. And then, but also, yeah, I felt, I definitely felt nervous at school because I, I never wanted to be singled out for anything. I just wanted to feel normal always. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I, I think a real period of transition would have been around the time that you were making the cat's meow with Peter Bogdanovich, who just passed away. I know that mm-hmm. here you have now some kind of uh, growing commercial cachet in the business, I guess, probably coming right off of of uh, Bring It On. And in fact, as I recall reading, like it was not something it was sort of. Peter, if you want to do this movie, here's the actress you have to do it with. And then he came around to the idea. He was very, you know, he later was very complimentary of you. But at first, I think he said he didn't know what he was what he was necessarily um, getting. But in the middle of that project, 
is also, I believe, when the first kind of uh, rumblings of the possibility of of Spider-Man came about. So can you take me back to just that moment where suddenly, you know, you're going to go to, you know, you're doing, I mean, Cats Meow was not a giant movie, but here you are with the, the, while I believe in the middle of making it, where the, the prospect of doing something that's going to take your life and career in a very, you know, to a whole different level of, of exposure and fame and all of that. Um, just take me back to that. Okay. So I remember a long time ago, I was working on Crazy Beautiful actually at the time when I first met Sam. And I think that, you know, I don't know, it was like such a long casting process, but I remember just wanting to be a part of this so badly. I loved the fact that he had cast Toby, who was also an independently spirited, you know, actor in his choices and the way Sam wanted to tell the story. I was just really moved and also, yeah, I wanted to be part of a big, fun movie. I hadn't done one in a while and um, it just... I just really felt it in my heart and soul that I wanted to be a part of this badly. And then, yeah, I remember my friend Ben Foster actually was like, I remember reading The Cat's Meow. I was like, should I go do this movie? He's like, yes, you should work with Peter Bogdan. I was just like, okay. So, yeah, I'm in Berlin. And at Toby was driving down Sunset Boulevard. And I was on a gap. They used to do this big gap billboard on Sunset. And he saw me and was like, what about Kirsten, you know, Dunst for this movie for Spider-Man. And so they all flew out to screen test me, like the producer, Sam, Toby, like all flew out. We did it in a hotel room or like a conference room. And, um, I was so, I was so nervous before I, I went into my audition, but, um, I just remember when we worked together, it was like, exactly what you want from chemistry and acting. And it just felt right. As soon as I left the room, I was like, I got this. I just felt it. I knew it. I was like, I, I did it. And, um, and then I remember I left, remember when we used to have these big ass CD cases with like hundred <laughs> CDs that we just carry around. <laughs> so yeah, I left that yeah. there and then I like knocked on the door and I was, you know, I felt like so relieved I had nailed it. And I was like, hi, sorry, I left my CD case. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I remember I got my little CD case and I, I could just tell on their faces I didn't mean to leave my CD case, but I could tell that they were almost relieved and overjoyed right. too. That like, okay, we found our Mary Jane, you know. Now that uh, we should just remind people, so the movie comes out in two thousand two, exactly twenty, you know, twenty years ago, and that was the beginning. Of, there weren't, you know, people. People can forget the order of events. That was the beginning of this whole superhero dominated century that we really. Living, yeah, I mean, there have been a bat, couple of Batman stuff and whatever, but this was the this was a, a a new chapter of movies. Was it your sense? I guess you're 19 when this came out. Was it? Uh, I guess. Well, you know what? Even before we go about get into the reaction, I want to come back to an example that I came across where again, somehow maybe it's because you started so early or whatever, but you were self-possessed enough to know, like, on the one hand, I'm going to be a much more well-known person as a result of this, of doing this. But on the other hand, I'm not going to be kind of molded into a cookie cutter thing. I mean, tell me about this. Tell me about this trip to the dentist. Oh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, one of the Laura Siskin, who I love, she's passed, but she was like, you should see my dentist. And I was like, okay. I like, didn't even think, you know, anything. And I did go there 
And then they immediately just started to talk about my fangs and like fixing them. So I knew I was, you know, sent there to, to change my teeth, you know, which, you know, Sophia was like, I love your teeth. I love your teeth. So I already knew because of Sophia, I didn't do that kind of stuff. Like I never, I also didn't, the, the quality of the, the projects and the actresses that I looked up to were not cookie cutter blonde looks, you know, and there was a period where I definitely, you know, tried to, I, I knew at this point in my career doing Spider-Man, I could then do indies. Like I'd be high, I'd be able to finance indies that I really wanted to be a part of as well. So that was a huge thing too with doing Spider-Man is, oh, I can, doing Spider-Man will also allow me to do whatever I want to do. Like, because Mm -hmm. it just opens, you know, now you're, you're, you can finance any movie in Europe or anywhere really, you know, because of that exposure. So I knew that that was a big part of like my opportunities. And especially because it was really quick, quite quick succession. Your trilogy, you've got the first one in 2002, the second one in 2004, the third one in 2007. Um, I guess, though, an interesting thing, like, well, let's 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 talk about the first one comes out. Again, you're not like an unknown person. Everybody had seen Bring It On and other stuff prior to that. But to what degree did this level of exposure affect your day to day life? Again, I was in, hmm, was I in high? No, I was done with high school. How did it affect my day-to-day life? I mean, I was still living with my mom, like in the valley. Um, So again, like I wasn't, I didn't take this fame and money and start like doing all this crazy stuff. I just was, you know, that was that. And I had, my friends were the most important thing. My friends from high school and stuff and they were going to college. So I think I started to just have more independence and, and things like that. But Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I remember visiting my friends at college really and, (laughs) um, (laughs) missing them. And, but I, I, I mean, the paparazzi would take my picture more and things like that. That was kind of the start of that. Um, Mm -hmm. but it also wasn't at where it is now, which is really just like, we need content online all the time. It was more like the weekly magazine, and it wasn't really anything. As, yeah, I guess the internet was know. not fully uh, blooming yet with that kind of no. stuff. But so I wasn't put in a position where I didn't feel like still like I I was just living a pretty normal life. Right. Um. Aside from it, yeah. Now, something we did not really talk about as much in those days, but we certainly do now, is the idea of pay equity. Um, you have said that, you know, those three movies, I mean, it was you and Toby toe to toe for uh, granted it's called Spider-Man, but I mean, there's no Spider-Man without Mary Jane, as we've seen through two other incarnations of this, uh, of this franchise since then. But, um, what was your awareness of that at the time? I was aware. I honestly was, I didn't really think about it at first at all. I was just like, oh yeah, he's Spider-Man. But then I only thought about it on the second movie because they used my face and then Spider-Man on the Mm -hmm. cover of the posters everywhere. And I was like, well, Toby's not even on this poster. And I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe, yeah, the money thing is like a little, uh, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just the way it was back then. And I didn't really question it until I saw that. And that kind of made me feel like, 
you know, but I also was raised to always be like gracious and humble and, you know, not stir things up and not, you know, say anything about anything. So I was kind of raised a little bit like, which I think you just do as an actress. It's a very people pleasing type of job, which you kind of have to work against, you know, as you grow up in this industry. So, um, but it, but just men in general get away with so much more in this industry. You could just have the worst behavior and be like the biggest star. So it just doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, um, it doesn't work like that for us. So, um, I, I obviously didn't say anything, but I just knew, yeah, I knew in my heart that this was Yeah. And I mean, I don't think it would necessarily happen today. I don't know the exact specifics of how it was with the most recent Spider-Man and Mary Jane, but I would think that you know, it w- people would be a lot quicker to raise uh, questions about it if it if it did happen today. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, I mean, in between those Spider-Man movies, yes, there were. Uh, you were now in a position to get Indies finance, and we're and we're doing that to an extent. Certainly, I'm sure it helped with when you reunited with Sophia on Marie Antoinette, which was in 2006. But I also wonder, you know, there was a period which I totally get why you and your representation might have wanted to explore this. But in between those installments as well, you were now, there were there was a little dabbling with romantic leads, right? There was Wimbledon yeah. with well, Paul Bettany. There was Cameron Crowe. That's an interesting story, the Wimbledon story, because I, I remember it was because I was, I had a really weird contract with Harvey Weinstein, like, and in order to get out of these three movies, he was like, okay, then you, if you do Wimbledon, We'll get out. You can get out of these three, basically. It's like a bad contract that I had it as a teen after doing Get Over It. And Mm -hmm. like it was some kind of wrapped up. I don't know. It was like I had to make three more movies or whatever. Or, you know, if you want to get out of it, you got to do Wimbledon. You know what I mean? So it was like a weird. (laughs) It's true. I mean, that's what happened. And I got to pick the lead, which Paul's amazing. And I had a blast doing it. But it was a contractual um you know, exchange basically. Interesting. Um, so that was 2004. And then the next year was Elizabeth town with, uh, for, for Cameron Crowe opposite Orlando Bloom, right? Yes. So, and Elizabeth town, like everyone auditioned. I auditioned every person our age auditioned for this movie. It was mm-hmm. a huge deal to yeah. get this film. And so, but I guess, and this is not in any, this is not in any, uh, way a comment on, those movies, but I do get the sense, and you have kind of said as much that you just, it's not what you wanted to be doing necessarily romantically, right? No, and it's not my acting style either. It's not like my, there's something more free and, um, about when I, when I did Marie Antoinette, there's like, it's a different, it's less formulaic the way Sophia shoots a movie. And I, I respond to that way more than, um, Okay, we're gonna do the wide, then we're gonna do the medium, then we're gonna do the close, then we're gonna do two shot, then we're gonna do this. It's like it starts to get so procedural. It's less about finding like the art within the scene and just getting as much cover, like just being able to like edit it, like with as much options. It's just that kind of style is it's fine. It serves its its purpose beautifully, and I'm down to do movies like that too. It just I think I was feeling like, oh, this isn't really my type of acting. I'm not feeling free within this realm. And I just and especially felt like I was, at, yeah. At, well, as you say, you're back there in that same period uh, with Sophia. It's been, I guess, seven years at that point since 
virgin suicides. But I mean, you're it's it seems like it may have just been a reminder that this is what you do want to do. If you knew that the other mm-hmm. stuff isn't what you want to do, here's a kind of reminder. I mean, do you do you remember? Was that just because hey, it's Sophia, I'll do anything with her, or was there a particular response to Marie Antoinette? I, I've always been director driven. I would do any role for Sophia, anything she asked me to play, I would play. I'm not role oriented. I really just care about who's making the film. I'll play any role. It doesn't really matter to me. Interesting. Yeah. Cause like- I'll be, I'll be able to create whatever it's, it's fine. Like I'll find it within myself. It's just to me, if you, if you're not with the right director, then it doesn't matter. Did you learn that with because of that original Sophia interaction, or where did you learn that that's the way to do things? Because not everybody clearly does. And I don't understand why. It's like your director is the, it's, you know, it's the captain of the ship. So like you, you're given a great performance in the wrong hands. It does not matter. So um, I, yeah, I think it's just, you know, the taste of what the person can do. I mean, I've worked with a lot of first time directors I believe in as well. So it's not like I need to know necessarily their previous work, but they're the, they're, yeah, they're the person there. It's their vision. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, I, I want to be a part of good movies. I don't care about, um, I just like the creation. That's all I have is creating on the day and making the movie and the process. That's all I have. So if sure, that's not sure. feel, just that doesn't feel like I'm doing something and it's, I'm moving through something and it's fun or it doesn't have to be fun necessarily, but like something's happening. We're trying to capture lightning in a bottle here. We want things to be, you know, excite, you know, feel like, you know, what, what Jane did in Power of the Dog, like you those things are, it's exciting when you capture those things and it deadens, it deadens things when you overdo them or overshoot something or, you know? Sure. Well, so the last of the Spider-Man movies came out in, uh, 2007. You did how to lose friends and alienate people in 2008. And then there was this period, I guess you're now in your mid to late twenties where you kind of, uh, dropped off the radar for, I don't know, about two years before you came back with All Good Things in 2010. And I know that, again, this is a period where it was all kinds of misreporting. People were assuming that you've, <laughs> you're have you like a lot of uh, young stars who quickly, you know, who, who are very famous, maybe were having substance abuse issues or whatever. You fin- eventually clarified it that, no, it's a much more common thing that you had been dealing with with depression and other stuff that again extremely common but take me into that period because i do wonder if there was an element of this where you were perhaps disillusioned with how things were going and i wonder if when you decided to then actively made the active decision to come back was that kind of taking ownership of all right i'm now an actor because i choose to be not because this was the path that i was sort of set on by a bunch of events that i ultimately you know who knows how much say i had in it when i was a little kid uh-huh yeah there's i listen there's a reason why a lot of artists at 27 like something happens it's your brain changes just fundamentally but like i think that there was just a way i was doing things that didn't work anymore and my body physically stopped me you know mhm And, you know, you can get the best help or get these recommendations. But if you're not really 
if you're not in the right hands or mental state, I think those two things, those things together can, you know, not always work. So you kind of have to figure out your path to kind of get clarity again and, and get out of the, um, you know, get out of the haze of, of it all. Um, and luckily I, I did and found the right help eventually and figured it out. And, um, you know, I think that all that, all the, I just really remember not really getting angry much. And I was like, oh, that's probably, that was a really big deal to just not have that. And I think that, you know, I, I, I'm a better person because of it, a better actor, a better, and I figured out a way to do things differently. And I studied with a few different acting teachers and just to see different methods of how I could approach all good things. And I found someone who I really love. Yeah. I mean, that's a big, big thing that when you came back with that, I think that was the first um, one that you did after working with Greta Seacat, who you've talked about mm-hmm. as your acting coach, her mother, I love her. Sandra, who I know is still around, is it was mm-hmm. a famous acting coach too. But mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's interesting to me that you have had for the last, I guess now 12 years, this um, relationship that you say is very helpful and important. And I wonder what, you know, obviously it's probably more complex than we can talk about in a few seconds, but what's the fundamental value of, you know, you know how to act, but is there something that she helps you to, uh, something else that she helps to bring to the table? Well, I think with all the actors you, she works with, I mean, I'm not, I don't know who wants to share that they work with her or not, but like there's, uh, you see a through line with everyone. It's just that uh, the performances are just deeper. There's just a soul, like you just, there's a soul connection there that just is deeper than, um, any other style acting in my opinion and makes things feel it should be cathartic. And there's a lot of dream work involved as well, which I think always grounds you in who you're playing. So your unconscious mind is giving you the keys of your character's experiences. Um, but yeah, she works with so many amazing young actors. Um, she's just, yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, just her method of is very nurturing. You know, I think a lot of acting, some acting is so like, you know, people yelling at you, you know what I mean? <laughs> Screaming at you. Yeah, like that's right. a whole other kind of method. Um, which doesn't work well with me. I think I shut down. Um, but I remember acting classes like that where everyone's just getting yelled at. <laughs> it's just how does that help anyone try and expose themselves? <laughs> just Seriously, people trying to scare yeah. the shit out of you. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, it's just a year after All Good Things, your first one back. Then you you uh, were with Lars von Trier in Melancholia, which, you know, again, is one of these ones that it's at the very top of the list of stuff that that when people think of your great performances, I think. And um, I read that it's Paul Thomas Anderson and Susanna Beer who were the ones that advocated for you. But I can't figure out how did they did you did you just know them socially or had you worked with them in some way that I don't know about before? I only knew that Paul Thomas Anderson recommended me to Lars. Um, and I had I had met him before, but um, I think, you know, he, he probably just knew I had it in me and I haven't had the opportunity to get a role where I could show that. So. Well, and, and it's interesting because, you know, 
here you are, as we've just talked about coming out of this kind of dark period that you had gone through. Lars had, I guess, talked about generally and certainly to you that he'd been through stuff. And now you're being asked to play just to remind or, or familiarize listeners. I mean, this is a woman who on her wedding day feels literally like the, feels like the world is uh, coming to an end. And I guess I wonder, you know, was there any particular sort of direction or anything that where you were able, or, or were you able to just kind of draw upon experiences that you or Lars may have had in order to kind of uh, create that that character? Well, immediately, I think the best directors immediately are vulnerable with you. And he, we went to dinner, and he explained to me, you know, a lot about his own mental health, and um, so I knew, you know, I was I was playing Lars all of his. He always has women playing him, you know? Um, and so I felt very safe immediately. And um, I just, I, hmm, I, it's interesting. When I think back at that time, it's like the most fun Swedish acting camp of freedom. It felt like we were just doing a play that was being taped, you know? <laughs> right, it was just being right. filmed. So that's how it felt in the expression. And when you, when you're in, a healthy mindset, you can access things so quickly. And I'm not, I, I think that, 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 um, it was so freeing to play, you know, and so I, cathartic for me, of course, yeah. to portray yeah. Justine. Um, and yeah, I felt the most, I felt really at home on his sets with his crew, with the other actors. I was, you know, these are the type of people I want to make movies with this kind of feeling, you know? Yeah. And we can note that you did, uh, receive the best actress award at Cannes. Uh, you may well have gone on to other things. I, I think there was obviously some unfortunate controversy around you know, maybe people not wanting to necessarily see that movie because of some weird <laughs> shit shit that Lars said at the press conference in Cannes. Oh but you know I don't know why that, that would. From? Someone asked him that on his mother's deathbed that that he learned that he was German and not Jewish because he had grown up thinking, oh, this person's my father. And he learned on his mother's deathbed that like that wasn't the case. And so that's where the question, that was the question. And then that's a weird he like question for a press conference anyway, out. right? It, it was such a weird question. And then he kind of spiraled and made, tried to make a joke out of it. And it was just like, I just, ugh. it was just like, yeah. I just knew I was like, oh fuck, what is going on here? But I, what a weird question to start. No one talks about like, but that was such a crazy question to ask somebody. No, totally. I mean, that's, that's not even uh, comfortable in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, but no. in an open press conference about a <laughs> yeah. movie, it can't. So but that was a I, little crazy too, but yeah, that was, luck, that luckily was just... though, there were, this was pre memes though, or pre gifts or memes or whatever, right? Kirsten, because people's people sort of, uh, just got a huge kick out of your facial changes over the course I of that know. rant. I know. <laughs> oh my um, God. Well, so just uh, almost up to the, the to the most recent wonderful work, I, I do want to note, though, that you did something that more and more of our best 
actors who have established themselves in film did, uh, which is you eventually now dabbled in TV, first with Fargo for FX in 2015, and then on Showtime's On Becoming a God in Central Florida 2019. Um, you had done a little bit when you were a kid. You were the recurring part of the runaway on ER, people may remember. Um, but n these were, uh, you know, TV today is a whole new, not that ER wasn't a very great show, but t overall TV, I think, is a is a whole new ball game these days. And it obviously also resulted in you meeting your husband, Jesse Plemons on Fargo and another Golden Globe nomination for Fargo. But just the idea of going, it used to be like, if you're a film, a person who established yourself in film and you're going to do television, your career is going in the wrong direction. But that clearly was not the case anymore. No, not at all. I mean, I, I watched the first season of Fargo and I was like really blown away. It's so cinematic. It's just, yeah, it was so well done. And then reading the first few episodes of this, I was like, well, there's no other, there's no better char character that I'm being offered right now. This is, this is something I can really, you know, get into and like have a great time doing. It's a lot of work, a lot of volume for these TV series though, right? It is. And you know, yeah, it is. And, but also, there's a quicker pace, which is nice, too, in a way. But, yeah, I doing On Becoming a God, that was very – that was a lot after having a kid. I was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I started filming five months later, and I still was like, uh, I think my body's still recovering. And I just – I remember crying to my mother-in-law, who was helping with the baby at the time. Like, I don't think I can do this. I don't know if And I you're can a producer this. on that one, too. So that was, I'm sure, extra work as well, right? Yeah, it's just like watching edits and, yeah. No, and casting and all of that. But yeah, that was a lot of work. I don't know if I'd be the lead of a television <laughs> <Right> show. <laughs> Mini maybe, series, maybe a, you know it's going to I was end. just going to say a limited series is the way that's yeah, the, that's the middle it. ground. That's the way to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, this is so much work. <laughs> right. You well, shoot one that, scene a day on a movie. This, you're just doing like four scenes. And oh, God, it's so much work. The number of pages, yeah. But uh, in between, there was a uh, another Sophia Coppola collaboration, The Beguiled. Actually, it would have been your, I was going to say your third, but I guess it's the fourth if we count the little cameo in Bling you Ring. Yeah, but we can't. That was just like a friend <laughs> stopping by. Right. So uh, that, that though, brings us to um, what I will just say, for instance, the New York Times has called, quote, one of Hollywood's most remarkable career reinventions, close quote. I don't know if it's uh, that feels almost weird because it's not like you ever went away or started doing shitty work and then came back and do it and did yeah. good work. But um, but let's just talk about the power of the dog, which everybody's talking about and responding to. And in a way that I don't know, does it feel like any any prior um, project, the response that, you, you know, to this one? Um, well, listen. This it's lightning in a bottle, like being able to be in a movie where the director is incredible and handles your performance beautifully and people like the movie. And then it's even, you know, like everyone gets behind the movie and all these steps it takes to get to where we are with this film. It's very rare, you know, like what people gather around and support. And so I mean, just just to be in a Jane Campion movie was my one of my dreams in life. So all of this has been so wonderful for my career and the opportunities that I'm 
being given because of it. Um, because yes, this industry, it, there is a lot of ups and downs and there is, you know, flavors of the month and this and that, like you never, I've always felt like there's been work for me. Um, but I know that there's, the opportunities are really wonderful. And, you know, I'm, I feel like very proud of this film, whether, you know, I was getting attention or not just to be able to have worked with her. And when you say it was a dream, it, it's not hyperbole because you and she really, uh, there was, I guess, mutual admiration going back all the way to 2000, I see, is when she first may have reached out to you about a, a different project that didn't happen. But there was mm -hmm. obviously uh, interest that, as far back as that, right? Yeah, but then, you know, you never know. And people like her don't make movies all the time. And But yeah, the, the fact that I was still in her mind and that she still, you know. Yeah, that, you know, you just, you want good directors to want to work with you. So it's just like, thank God she gassed me. That's how I felt like, oh, like I just remember getting off of FaceTime with her and just screaming to my family. I was like, I did that. You know, like, <laughs> we're going on a day list or whatever. I just is so happy to be working with Jane. I just, because Jesse got the script first and I was just, I was like, you don't I even need to read it. You need to work with Jane Cobb <laughs> Campion. I was like, you're working with Jane Campion. I was almost That's angry like when I told him. <laughs> I know. Well, it's fine. I want him to get everything, obviously, always. Um, right, so right. I was, you know, I just said to him, you, you're doing this. I was like, I don't, I don't even know what the part is, but you're doing this. Uh, right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I lucked myself into it, too. <laughs> well, and, and Rose is another one of these, you know, the, as, as we talked about earlier, just these kind of tormented women that you've sort of specialized in. And uh, I guess I wonder, I, I believe that even before, maybe this is during that FaceTime or whatever that you you just referenced, but Jane, you have you have said that she, quote, she asked what I could bring from my past to Rose, close quote. What do you think she's referring to? And what did you, was it something where you had to kind of excavate your own experiences? Um, you know, again, like I don't think about, oh, this time in my life I use, can use this or anything. I just, I use my dream. So I use whatever my unconscious gives me to plant within my character. So that, those dreams usually give me a path, um, of the movie. And then we go over each scene and figure out, you know, other ways to play things or things that will make it more interesting. Um, just ideas and whether that be like as if this happened or a sense memory or a symbol or things like that, things that will just al alive in me inside. Um, mm -hmm. So the only particular scene I can tell you like that I remember of what I used was um, when Phil is supposed to be playing the banjo or is playing the banjo and I'm playing the piano and, you know, he trumps me with this like beautiful way that he's playing the, the banjo and just making me feel like, just giving up really on something that I was thought I was good at. Um, but then when someone is so effortless in their craft, whatever that is, it's so intimidating. And um, especially in Rose's mind frame, it's not like, oh, I'm going to push through and I'm going to just, you know, play this song beautifully. No, it's, it's, it's soul crushing. So I definitely had some feelings about that, like just not, not being good enough, you know? And, and so sharing those it's just creating these feelings and opening up your soul kind of to, to is what I try to do. <laughs> I know it's weird. 
it's kind of a no, it's, it's weird to it's, talk about and I also like acting is a weird thing to talk about I well, yeah it's just putting yourself in the right mindset in order to create like any emotion that can come out is okay too well so when you watch this movie I mean obviously you have key great moments with each of these three guys certainly Jesse where you guys are playing a couple again uh you've got Benedict who's your tormentor uh and Cody who's your son everybody's great in this but I wonder for you you know there are some beautiful moments where you know up on the I don't know what you would call it a valley or a cliff or whatever where you and Jesse have a, an amazing moment any anything that really you know what are the ones that you think when you're a uh, 103-year-old lady on your deathbed. Right. Like, what's the one that is going to be the most special to you? Well, hopefully I've got a lot more in me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, from I this like, one. From this one. Yeah, okay, from this one. I mean, yes, just the fact that Jesse and I got to be in this movie together and have these moments that are so beautiful to look back on just our kids seeing us dance together on a mountaintop. Like, I don't know how I would feel. I think that's so beautiful to have that cinematic beauty as part of your family history to me is so, I don't know. I, I, would, I think it would be so cool to see your parents like that. So, and very moving and you know, when I'm gone, it's like a, it's like another version of a, of a home movie, you know, in a way. Yeah. So I think it's just, yeah, that, that scene on the mountain will always be really a beautiful part of our history as a couple and, um, in film. Yeah. And is there, so that's, a, that's one that's, that's obviously treasured because of what it represents, but is there a moment where, um, you know, you look at it now and you say, I'm particularly proud of what I personally accomplished in this challenging scene. You know, is there and obviously, you know, there's let's just table humility for a minute. What is the moment where you are like, all right, I'm 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 very pleased with that. <laughs> oh, Scott, you're funny. <laughs> I'm pleased with myself. I did good. Um, you know what? I feel good when other artists or like, like a Hilton Owls or like Sarah Polson reached out to me or like um, uh, Stellan Sarsgaard or like when other people I respect, you know, DM me or like write me an email. That's when I feel like, okay, the artists that I love and respect or like the writers I love and respect are, are reaching out to me to say that they were moved. So I've done my job. You know what I mean? Like that to me is the biggest, uh, when other people that I like really respect, uh, reach out is, is the best feeling. Yeah. Well, yeah. very last thing I'm going to ask you, it's a, it is a two-parter, but, uh, when, what is left it, on the bucket list for, for you? Is there a story, a project, a type of thing to, you know, whether it maybe you, I don't know, I'm just making something, maybe you want to do theater or more, maybe you want to do whatever. So that's part A. And then part B, do you ever wonder how your life might've unfolded had you not been set on that path that you were at a very early age? Do you, you know, what, what might it have looked like? Um, well, I think, listen, I grew up because I was in New Jersey, I'm so close to New York. I'm sure I would have gone to New York for school or fashion design or art. Like I have a creative, like, you know, 
eye or feeling with, you know, that's what I'd migrate to no matter what. So I think being so close to New York would have been, you know, beneficial to whatever job that I, you know, decided to do. So, um, yeah, if I wasn't an actress, I'd probably be doing something in New York City, I, w- I would imagine. But um, I want to I want to be in a musical movie. Really? Yeah. I love, remember Hedwig and the Angry Inch? I love that musical. I I want to be in like an original, some kind of original musical would be cool. Like I know that there's a, Charlie Kaufman wrote an original musical that is just, you know, who knows, just floating around that it's not being made. That would be amazing. Yeah, I know. So something like, I want to do a musical. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's it's out there. People are listening. Hopefully, (laughs) uh, let's make this happen. But uh I guess just uh, thank you so much for all the years of great work that I've enjoyed watching. And thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you. No, thanks for having me. Thanks very much for tuning into Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. Until next time, thanks for joining us. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.